You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. series um, called Uncomfortable Conversations, uh, but before I get into that, I just want to highlight uh, the men's event that we did at Cornerstone yesterday. It was just an amazing time. Uh, there was about 35 men from our church, I believe, that came, but at the conference, uh, there was five churches represented, and there was over 300 men there, and it was just an awesome experience uh, to be there and to worship with other men and to to hear from different pastors, and we went through Ephesians chapters 1 to 5 about uh, putting off the old self and putting on our new selves, our new identities in Jesus Christ, and so I just want to thank the men for coming, and I, I just want to thank the wives who supported their husbands in coming, because they would give up a Friday night and most of Saturday, that's a big sacrifice, and so for you wives that supported your husbands in that, I just want to thank you and encourage you that uh, they have been well taught and so uh, if they don't do what they've been told you just come and talk to the elders and and we'll deal with them no just kidding but it was great and so thanks for being a part of it so we're starting this uh, series that we started last week and, and when I say uncomfortable conversations uh, it means that we're, we're talking about some things that that will maybe make some people feel uncomfortable because it might hit a nerve it, it might hit a fear it, it might be something that you're struggling through and so these are issues that um, probably the next uh, eight weeks or so uh, that that I've seen consistently cropping their head up in people's lives or people have brought to me out of concern. Last week, uh, we sort of warmed you up by addressing climate change and, and a lot of the fears that people have that man is going to kill the world before um, God's time. But I hope you feel confident that, that uh, God is in control and that God is not going to destroy, or not, God is not going to let men destroy the world. And so today, since we have our kids with us, do I have something on my face? No? Okay, great. <clears throat> when you're in a small church, you can see people laughing at you. Whereas, whereas yesterday in the big church, uh, there's this bright light in my face. I couldn't see people's faces. <clears throat> so uh, today we have kids with us. So I picked a, another light topic that we can go through a little quicker uh, because I want it to be kid-friendly and I don't want kids to, to start freaking out and... Uh, drawing the parents' attention away. Uh, so I thought I'd talk about why maybe some of us aren't changing. Why aren't we seeing the growth in our Christian lives that maybe some people uh, are seeing in other people's lives or that you read about that can happen in your own life personally. And so if you're coming to church, it's our hope, it's our desire, especially if you're coming to this church, that you are a follower of Jesus who actually desires to change. Uh, if you're a, a person that thinks you've pretty much got it all together and really only the people around you need to change, well, this is probably not the right church for you. You should probably, you know, find a different church because here we believe that we're all in need of Jesus to change us. 
no matter how long we've been walking with him for, that there are things in us that God still needs to change and desires to change. I have a lot of things in me that need to change. I'm not who I was before, but I'm definitely not who I want to be when I come to the end of my life. And I know Pastor Mark would say the same. And we've said before that, you know, we would, we would rather have a church of 40 people uh, who are humble and moldable and realize that they need God in their life every day to change them than to have a church of hundreds of people uh, who just want to stay the same. So I hope that you come with that understanding that God still needs to change you and, still, and that you still desire him to change you. So we're talking about change, and, and, and we're going to look at three main points. Uh, there's going to be some sub-points. Uh, the verses will be overhead, and I encourage you to make notes in the middle of the bulletin. The first one is this. One of the reasons why you might not be changing is because you don't see yourself as a sinner. Uh, we forget that the religious leaders in Jesus' time, they wanted God to come. Uh, they were expecting God's Savior to come. Uh, as are most people in the world, it's really only in the West where we believe we evolved from nothing. Most people believe there was a creator. Most people want God to come into their lives, but they want him to come according to their agenda. When Jesus came, his first priority was to deal with sin, the sin in people's hearts. We see that that was his priority. Everything else was secondary. Their diseases, their poverty, uh, the challenges they were going through, no, those were secondary. His primary was to deal with the sin in people's hearts. But the religious leaders, they didn't really see themselves as sinners, they saw themselves as people who, were, who had done so many good works that they were just below God, and God was really impressed with them. We sort of pick up uh, their story, and when Jesus uh, meets this guy in Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to 32, it says this, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet at his house. Now a large crowd of tax collectors and others were reclining at the table with him. But the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat with and drink with these tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is why Jesus came, primarily. This is like the, uh, a core Christian doctrine, that everyone is a sinner in need of salvation. And you might look at yourselves in one of two ways, either good or bad, either clean or unclean, either a sinner or not a sinner. But until you really come to that place where you acknowledge and understand you're a sinner, not just because you did a few bad things a long time ago, that no, you consistently sin in your lives and don't deserve mercy and grace of God. Until you come to that place, God really can't do anything with you. In fact, it goes against his, uh, his moral principles to do anything with you because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Is that you? Do you see yourselves as, as somebody who's pretty much earned God's respect by your good behavior? 
Well, maybe that's why you're not changing. Sometimes uh, we can forget who that we can we can forget who we're going to become, or who we can re-become. We can be Christians who were once saved by God's grace, and, and yeah, we conquered a lot of bad sins, and, and then we kind of get up on our high horse, and we think, well, I'm doing pretty good, I'm a pretty good person now, and I'm kind of riding high, and we forget what God told Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so furious, and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. What does this tell us? This tells us that sin is always watching. Sin, if we think of it like a thing, and we remember that there is a prince of this world, Satan, that he, he's tempting us and he's setting up snares for us to give in to sin. If you think of sin, uh, God is talking it like a predator, uh, like a predator that is hiding, watching for people who aren't paying attention, who aren't on guard. It's watching you. It's watching when you put your guards down. And sometimes we can be like that as Christians. Uh, we can be on guard at first. We're conquering sin. But then we put our shield down. We put our sword down. We take our armor off. And we say, well, I could never have an affair emotionally or physically. Well, I'd never work myself into a burnout. Uh, well, I would never neglect my family. These things are beyond me. But when we get to that place, we're really in danger. When you think you stand pretty much uncontested, you're in serious danger, and you're most likely going to fall. And sometimes I can see that in people's lives. They take five steps forward, and then they let their guard down, and they fall back into sin, and they take six steps backwards. And, and their life doesn't ever seem to change. Is this you? You walk around strong for a while and then let your guard down and give in to ease and give in to sin. That's not the way God desires it to be. Some of us forget that, that sin still dwells inside of us. Look at Romans chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. This is Paul talking about himself. For I know that nothing good lives within me, that is, in my flesh, for the desire to do what is good is within me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I am no longer the one who, that does it, but it is the sin that lives within me. Do you see that, what Paul is saying? There is this battle going on inside of us. When we become Christians, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. But Paul tells us later uh, that the sin, our new self, is warring against the flesh, the old self. And there is this internal battle. We don't, I think most of us don't desire to, to fail and to sin. I, I think that's most of us. I, I don't desire to let my wife down. I don't desire to let my kids down. I don't desire those things, yet sometimes I do those things. That is the ongoing battle inside of us. And we all have sin that is still dwelling inside of our flesh, things that we are more prone to. 
You know what you're prone to, if you really think about it. Your spouse probably knows if you're married. Maybe the other people in your lives don't really know because you keep it well hidden. But we're all prone to sin, and we're lying to ourselves if we think that we're not. For example, some of you uh, might say, as you make excuses for, for your sin, you might say, well, I'm not really vain. I just appreciate good health. I'm not really a greedy miser. I'm just good with money. Uh, I'm not really prideful. I just have high standards. I'm not really addicted to whatever. I just need it to help me come down from a stressful day. I'm not really a gossip. I just like to be well-informed. Right? You see how we can, we can justify things that, that are sin and say they're not sin. And when we're in that place, well, we can be dangerous. There was this man who uh, came to a church, and he was a successful businessman, but he was one of those guys that dominates. You ever meet one of those guys? Like, they need to dominate the situation. And, and he dominated his wife, and he dominated his kids, and he dominated his business partners, and then he became a Christian. But the problem is, is that he didn't fully deal with the sin that was inside of him. Uh, he had an intellectual understanding that he was a sinner, he came to that place that he was a sinner in need of salvation, but he never got to the root. He cut off the top of the tree, but he never pulled the tree out by the roots. And his problem was he needed to be in control. He needed to be right, and that was pride. And so when he came into the church, uh, he tried to dominate everyone. Even though he didn't really know what he was doing, that's exactly what he was doing. In Bible studies, he would try and dominate the pastor or the teacher. In, in, in small groups, he would try and dominate the situation. All of this stemming from his pride, stemming from his need to be in control. And as Christians, we can be in church, we can be professing Christians, but if we're not pulling the, the sins out by the root, they're going to crop their heads again. And then we're not going to grow. Maybe that's a reason why you're not growing. John Owen said, be killing your sin or sin will kill you. That's a good reminder to all of us. And so I've uh, left a place for you to list. What, are, what sins are you prone to? I'll be honest with you, I'm prone to a lot of sins, um, if you know my story, but I'm, I'm prone to pleasing man over God. And sometimes I'll try and please the wrong people. Uh, I, sometimes I'll get it out of sync, I'll try and uh, please people uh, that, that I shouldn't be trying to please over trying to please my wife. And sometimes I'll try and please my wife over trying to please God. And sometimes I can get that out of sync and it can cause problems in my life. I'm also prone to numb the memories that linger in my head. And so it's easy for me uh, to, to want to have a few drinks, not to where I'm drunk, but to where I can numb that, those memories and the stress. And so I have some clear rules that I don't drink alone. If I'm going to have a drink, it's, it's one and it's with somebody else because I know I'm prone to that. What are you prone to? Another reason why we might not be growing is from our lack of joy in who we are now. Joy, happiness, uh, gladness. 
in who we are now. Now, in this, this scene, uh, Jesus has sent out his, his disciples and his apostles, and he sent them out two by two in the towns. If you've been coming to church for a while, you know the story. And he sends them out to all these different towns, shake off the dust if they won't receive you, um, be glad and stay with them if they will. Um, and he gives them the power, the power of God, the power that God says we as believers can have. And, and so now the scene in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, is when they come back. He says, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said to them, I watched Satan, Jesus did, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority to trample on the snakes and the scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, nothing at all will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Life is full of great victories, and it's full of great tragedies. Sometimes life is a roller coaster. And when we base our joy off of our circumstances and how we feel, it can often become a joyless life. In this scene, the apostles are riding high. Like they're at the pinnacle. They think they are now God's men and they're gonna go out. This is what it's gonna be like forever. They're just gonna be riding high. They're gonna, Jesus is gonna be the king. They're gonna be the governors casting out demons, get rid of the Romans, so on and so forth. They're riding high. But in a few years, they're gonna be riding low because the circumstances have changed. They're no longer gonna be casting out demons. They're gonna be running scared as their master is being arrested and crucified. So much so that Peter is going to give up. He's going to essentially give up and say, I'm going back to fishing. I'm done. Isn't it amazing how that can be us? We're, we're riding high. I'm going to take the, the country for Jesus. And then a week later, my life's in the toilet. I just want to die. What's changed? Well, our salvation hasn't changed. But in our minds, our circumstances have changed. And... Life is going to be hard. We've got it fairly easy as Christians here. We look at what's going on in the lives with our brothers and sisters in other countries, and we could say, well, how could they even be a Christian in those sort of situations? How? I think they keep their focus on what really matters. They keep their focus on the reality that their sins are forgiven, and they're going to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. And their circumstances on this earth are only temporary. And, and so we, as we go through the ups and downs in lives, need to keep our joy where it matters on Christ and what he's done. We need to remember, as Billy Graham did, that he was being interviewed at the end of his life. And if you remember, he died a, a few years ago. And they were interviewing Billy Graham and, and they said, doesn't it make you sad that you were once the one that everyone wanted to, to have preaching. And, and now, because you're older, you, you can't do that anymore. He, was, he really couldn't walk anymore. And, and people aren't flocking to your house any, or to have you as their speaker anymore. Um, and he quoted this. Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And he wasn't sad because he knew that he was going to be with his Lord and where his wife was in heaven. And that's the kind of attitude we need to have. And when we have that attitude, we're more likely to change because our change isn't going to be based on the circumstances around us. 
We need to remember that God's love is not based off of good works. It's not based off of good works. Sometimes we can be up and down and, and, and not be changing because we, we don't think we're worthy of God's love anymore. And here's to remember, we're not. But yet God still loves us. Deuteronomy 7, verse, chapter 7, verse 7, the Lord talks about Israel and he says, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples, but you were the fewest of all peoples. Uh, God didn't choose Israel because they were, they were the latest, greatest, most powerful group of people. He actually chose them because they were the lowest, the nothing. And so that gave them confidence that, hey, God's not just going to get rid of us if he sees something better. No, he's committed to us. And the same is true for us, Paul says in Romans 5, verse 6 to 8. While you were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, when you think that God won't love you in your mess, you're more likely not to change. But when you remember that God loves you in your messiness, in your brokenness, well, that changes everything. That gives you the confidence to move forward, that God is going to be with you, that God is going to give you victory over the present challenges in your life. There was a woman who, who kept undergoing plastic surgery and, and always having things adjusted as she got older and pulled back and filled with uh, stuff. And, 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 and they asked her, well, why do you do this? Well, why do you do this? And she said, well, I'm afraid if I lose my looks, no one will love me anymore. That's a sad place to live. That's a hard place to live. And I think that's sometimes the way we, we view God. That if we don't make everything look good, if we really let him know and other people know just how much we're struggling, he isn't going to love us anymore. But that's not true. He meets us in our messiness. Because I wouldn't be here if that's the way it was. And the reality is, is that the more we understand how much he loves us in our sin, the more we're going to change. Jesus said in Luke chapter 7, verse 47, when he's talking about the, the woman who came in and, and was weeping at his feet and um, washing his feet with her tears, he said this, her sins, were, her sins have been forgiven. And that's why she loved so much. But the one who has forgiven, been forgiven little loves little. They speculate that this woman was a prostitute. And the reality is, is the, it is always good to keep in the back of your minds just how much of a mess you are. And then to remember that God loves you anyways. Because that's going to then turn you into a person who loves other people in their messiness even more. If you think you're pretty good, you're more likely not going to love other people as Jesus loves you. And yet Jesus says the opposite. He says the more a person realizes they're forgiven, the more likely they are to love other people as themselves. And then that'll change you. There was this um, wife who... She wouldn't... She came in for marriage counseling uh, to the pastor and... and um, she wouldn't stop, the issue was that she wouldn't stop belittling her husband. Um, everybody knew it. Um, it wasn't a secret. He, or she knew it. And uh, so they came in and, and, and 
he was going to leave her because it was just out of control. The family knew it and everything. Um, and and he, he understood that there was going to be negative consequences. Um, but because they didn't really see or she didn't really see uh, how much she was a sinner, uh, she didn't really love even though he was a sinner. And so she changed her behavior for a little while, um, but when it looked like everything was cool, she went back to doing the old things she did because she'd never really been changed. And so we can clean up our behavior for a little while, um, but until God pulls the roots of our sin out and we really see the vileness of that as he's pulling it out, it's hard for us to love other people in their brokenness. And so let me ask you, is your love for other people usually based on conditional or unconditional love? Because God's love for us is unconditional. Uh, and if you really get that, more likely you're going to love people unconditionally, meaning when they mess up. You're going to love your spouse when they're a screw-up. You're going to love your children when they're a screw-up. Doesn't mean you're not going to speak truth into their lives. Doesn't mean you're not going to discipline your children. You're going to love people in the congregation when they do things that annoy you, which they will, um, because this is a place of broken people. You're going to love me when I'm a mess up uh, because you realize that it's not just if I perform uh, for you that you love me. And so what is your love based off of? Conditional or unconditional? Some people, they don't change because they don't see or they still see themselves as the same old sinner. The same old sinner. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nor, Romans eight thirty nine, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some people, and I, this is something I've struggled with over the years, is they look in the mirror and they just see that same old person. Same old sinner, never going to change. Nothing's going to change. You're always going to be useless. You're always going to be that person that you used to be. You're always going to be that promiscuous young woman. You're always going to be that prideful, arrogant man. And because they live in their old identity, they don't live in their new identity, which is in Christ. And that's what we were talking to the men about in yesterday is taking off the old identity and putting on the new identity. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, you were saved by grace. But that's not how you need to live anymore. You can live as a forgiven son or daughter of Christ, and that changes everything. And some of you, I know that, you walk in your pasts. You, you kind of drag it behind you. Yes, Jesus loves me, but those things, you've got to cut those cords. You've got to let them go if you want to change. Last one. Some people don't change because they're not focused on what's important to God. They're not focused on what is important to God. They're focused on themselves. They're focused on pleasing other people. Uh, they're focused on what the culture says. Let's read a few verses. Paul says in Ephesians 5, verses 8 to 10, For you were once, once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, and righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Therefore, 
we also have, uh, have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Jesus says, I have come to do the will of my father. That was his food. To do what his, would please his father. And we as Christians, um, which really means a mini Christ, our desire, our foremost desire in life should be to do what God says is good. What is important to him. And there's a lot of Christians that are just living for their own things. Yeah, they come to church on Sunday, but they're really not interested in the things that God is interested in. They're really not interested in pleasing him they're interested in building their own little kingdom and and having all the pleasures of the world and looking after numero uno first but we're not going to change if that's where our focus is but the amazing thing um, in the christian faith is that the more you focus on what pleases god the more god changes your life and gives you the things, the desires of your heart. That, that's the amazing thing about it. Focus not on, Jesus says, and I'm paraphrasing, don't focus on the things you want, but focus on the things that, of God's kingdom, and then God will give you the things of your heart. That's the amazing supernatural thing about it. In one of the classes I was doing yesterday, we were talking about how to take a stand for true righteousness and holiness. And really what uh, I built up to the guys is that, that it is impossible to walk a righteous and holy life unless you're focused on God. If you're focused on the world, if you're focused on other people as your primaries, you're not really going to be able to live a holy and righteous life. To, to live a righteous life means uh, you treat other people as God desires you to treat them. Not as you feel like you should treat them, but as God desires you to treat them. And the secret to that is staying focused on God. And I think if you've been coming to Calvary for a little while, there's a couple here, Len and Carla Veach, Len who's in the hospital now. And, and they are known, if, you, if you've uh, interacted with them, as people who just love other people and pour out cons constantly. They're always babysitting other people's kids. They're always cooking meals for other people. They're always visiting people in the hospital. They're always coming along couples that are in trouble. Uh, they're always giving to meaningful causes. This is their life. Why? Because they love Jesus the most. And because they're focused on him, the outflow of their lives is blessing everybody. And so God changes them. And God desires us to be the same. And you, again, you can, you can know these things, but unless you live these things, it won't change you. Jesus said to the guy, um, when, when the guy came and asked him what was the most important uh, thing to do, and the guy answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you'll love other people as yourself. And, and Jesus says this in Mark 12, 34. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far off from the kingdom of God. Notice you're not in the kingdom of God. You're not far off from the kingdom of God, meaning you're pretty close. You understand it up here. Now all that needs to happen is to apply it here. And this is what really God is after, men and women. He's after our hearts. He's after changing our hearts and giving us loving, caring hearts that are focused on him. And this may sting some people a bit, but I preach to myself when I say this, that the reason some of you maybe don't have close friendships, the reason some of you, your lives are fairly joyless, 
The reason some of your relationships or a lot of your relationships aren't very good. The reason a lot of your finances or some of your finances are pretty bleak. The reason you can't seem to find a church that'll just meet your standards is because you're too focused on yourself. You're not focused on God primarily. You're not focused on his kingdom and loving other people as yourself. And so because of that, life, and I'm not saying this is everyone, and I'm, not, I'm not accusing people directly, I'm just saying these are things that I commonly see. And so there's a question I put there for you to go away and wrestle with. How much of your life is focused on what pleases God, and how much of your life is focused on what pleases you? Our desire is to be a church, um, not the church of Acts, not the church of the first century, but to be a church that mimics that. And that church exploded because this group of people loved God so much they were willing to die for it. And they loved other people so much that everyone took notice. They couldn't be ignored. And the, the church for the first 300 years consisted of 75% slaves, women, and children. And yet, they turned the Roman Empire upside down and that's our desire here at Calvary, and I hope you want to be a part of that, and I hope you want God to change you. Let's, let's pray, and then I'll let you go. And man, your kids have been good. God, I just thank you for the ability to change. Lord, in a world that seems to just be deteriorating faster and faster, you come to us and say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I shall give you rest. Learn from me, you say, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. God, I, I so want to change. And I am a constant um, work in progress. I pray that everyone in here would desire to change. That they wouldn't desire to stay the same as they are. But they would want to be conformed greater and greater into the image of you. Lord, would you help us to humble our hearts, to, to really look at our lives and say, what are we basing our faith off of? And, and really, if we're not changing, if we can look at our lives and see we're not changing, maybe in our whole lives or maybe in, in one or two areas, I pray we would be able to take a humble approach and say, why is that? What part do I have to play in that? And Lord, we know that we can't change unless you supernaturally intervene. And help us. And so, God, we, we come to you, uh, wounded people in need of a great Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for coming. And if you're coming later for the, for the lunch, I'll see you there. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.